Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate, gathering the voices of medical affairs thought leaders and stakeholders to explore current trends, define best practices, and empower the medical affairs function. I'm your host, Garth Sundin, Communications Director at MAPS, and today we're speaking about scientific communications platforms with John Eichert, Senior Principal at IQVIA, with a mission to discover previously unseen insights drive smarter decisions, and unleash new opportunities. So, John, to start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to your current position? Yeah, I started a company back in 2003 called Rivermark, and we specialized in the identification and engagement planning for thought leaders in in the medical field. And uh, we were acquired by IQVIA in August of 2019, and now I lead the Thought Leader Center of Excellence for IQBA. Oh, that's interesting. So the Thought Leader Center of Excellence, it sounds like, um, you know, I, I didn't realize this IQVIA uh, kind of segment its activities by these centers of excellence. Yeah, there's different uh, centers around IQVIA that each have a dedicated special, specialty in a specific discipline. And ours happens to be identification, profiling, segmentation, and engagement of uh, medical thought leaders. Well, okay, so can you catch me up on, on the background? What is the, what is the interface between scientific communication platforms and this thought leader center of excellence? How, how do those two interface? Well, first, I think it's important to understand what a scientific platform is and why it's important to uh, the successful launch of any given uh, you know, medical product. And, and scientific platforms, very simply, are core beliefs or assumptions that really provide a foundation for all brand medical and promotional messages. It's, it's the foundation on which all medical communications is developed. And it's a core element of, uh, of the strategy and it's essential for effective uh, engagement of thought leaders by medical affairs as well as commercial teams. Okay, and it seems like with our exploding uh, data universe here that this would be an area of great change. Uh, what major changes have you seen in, in these scientific platforms in the context of stakeholder engagement? I think the first is the, the science these days with the new newer biopharmaceutical products is much more complex and it requires a whole wholly different level of expertise on, on behalf of the medical affairs team. And it really trans, transfers or transitions the medical affairs teams into really helping healthcare practitioners understand the core science that, that is driving the, the, the value of a particular product. And I think the second is um, data. There's a lot more data. And I think there's a lot more specialization in where these products are used. So medical affairs has to become much more adept at managing data so that they can help healthcare practitioners understand which patients benefit the most from specific new therapies. And are there, so in addition to more data overall, what sort of new data sources are you looking at? 
Well, there's a whole host of them. And, and really when we're thinking about um, scientific platforms and thought leaders, um, there's a wide range of data sources that one begins to utilize to identify who the experts are in a given field and which experts are most aligned or most appropriate for engagement by a particular medical affairs team. So you start out with peer reviewed publications, clinical trials and conference presentations, and you have you know, uh, research grants becomes you know, important to say, who's, who is it that's receiving funds for research in a given therapeutic area? Uh, then we have, you know, there's a lot of primary research opportunities to really understand who talks to whom and who seeks advice from whom when treating patients with a given disease. And then there's a, a wide range of claims data. You know, you've got prescribing data, you've got uh, diagnosis data, you've got medical claims and hospital claims. Uh, and there's a wide range of, uh, of sources of information that all can go into understanding, you know, not only who the experts are, but how is the disease managed currently and where are the unmet needs? Well, you know, it seems to me, you know, and I know Acuvia has been uh, working in this area a lot, but it seems to me that the scientific communication platforms and medical affairs involvement in stakeholder engagement is starting earlier and earlier. You know, could you talk a little bit about the feedback that medical affairs professionals get from, you know, say physicians, payers, external scientific experts early in the development. Right. That's a, a, a trend that we're seeing is that medical affairs is getting involved earlier and earlier. And I think one of the common gaps or mistakes that companies make is they don't engage soon enough. Mm -hmm. And, they, and they, they assume that the marketplace understands the science, understands what the unmet medical need is. Yeah. So when medical affairs gets involved earlier, they're able to really frame the opportunity where the unmet medical need is, what are current treatment practices, what are current beliefs and assumptions that physicians have about the diagnosis, management, and treatment of, disease, of a given disease, what the burden of the disease is, you know, there's both a medical burden on the healthcare system, but there's uh, economic burdens on the patients. There's uh, burdens on society and really fully understanding what those unmet needs are and what the burdens of the disease are. Um, medical affairs is able to have a strategic role in framing not only the opportunity, but really building the foundation for the product profile. That's interesting. It's like building a scientific brand around a product. Um, well, so can you see then, or how do, how do medical affairs professionals message this impact and message this value? Can, can you quantify the benefit of early involvement or you know, even involvement at all? Well, the, I think the benefit, primary benefit is making sure that the assumptions the company has about the relative value of the product they're developing is aligned with the assumptions and beliefs of the medical community. And I think too many companies often assume that the, the, the medical professionals are gonna understand the science, understand and see the value of their product. And those assumptions need to be confirmed as soon as you possibly can so that you're making sure that the medical messaging and the rationale for utilization of a new product is aligned with the 
the beliefs and assumptions of not only the experts, but the practicing physicians. Oh, interesting. Those who are seeing patients and making treatment decisions who may not be the traditional you know, thought leader or medical expert or KOL as often as the term that's used. Yeah. But, but they're individuals who are seeing the patients and making those treatment decisions. And it's really important to understand not only how the KOLs or the thought leaders think about a disease, what their assumptions and beliefs are, but also what the practicing physician assumes to be true and believes to be true about um, managing a patient with any given disease. There's often a gap between those two audiences. Well, let, let me just follow up on that. That's really interesting. I've always looked at the rationale for use being the safety and efficacy that would come from R&D. But you're saying that in parallel with that, medical affairs can be working to ensure that the safety and efficacy that would come from clinical trials is paired with stakeholder understanding of how, why, when, with whom to, to use a drug even beyond the, the safety and efficacy of clinical trials? Yeah, the, 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 certainly the safety and efficacy of the clinical trials and the design of those trials has to be done in a way that actually um, addresses, the outcomes of those trials addresses the unmet need uh, and not only and compares the new drug to standard of care, but also um, highlights the relative incremental new value that's being added to treatment by a new therape therapeutic option. And it okay. used to be medical affairs sort of listened and answered questions and reacted to healthcare professionals and, and KOLs mm -hmm. questions. And that kind of evolved to be able to anticipate and inform uh, on those um, uh, healthcare professional questions. But now where medical affairs is today is they have to shape and transform the, the dialogue and, and make sure that the company understands the fundamental beliefs and assumptions that exist in the medical community, but also aligns the medical community through scientific evidence to the, to the assumptions and beliefs that the company has about treating that disease. Okay, so is it that the primary objective for a medical affairs team is to create this alignment? Yes, first to understand it. Yeah. And under, not only help the company formulate its platform statements, its belief statements, but also to be sure that, that those platform statements are aligned with how the medical community thinks about the disease. So I think companies often assume that the medical community believes the science that they have and believes the evidence that they have. But in many cases, unless that's really confirmed, not only at the expert level, mm -hmm. but also at the community level, because oftentimes there's a difference between the beliefs assumptions about managing a disease amongst bona fide national experts and those in the community seeing these patients. They think about these things differently. They often talk about them differently. Yeah. And medical affairs has a critical role to play to be able to bridge that gap um, between the national experts' lexicon and ways of thinking about a disease and those in the community who are thinking about and treating that disease.
So they play a pivotal, crucial role, not only within the company, but also within the medical community to help align those beliefs and assumptions. Right, and it's, it's kind of linear in a way to think about drug development from the perspective of the drug. And it sounds like you're saying that medical affairs teams have the opportunity to bring in a more patient-focused perspective. Is, is that true? Yes. Okay. Yes, and I, I think you're bringing up a really key important element where medical affairs is becoming much more instrumental in interacting with uh, patient advocates and, and disease advocates who may or may not be healthcare professionals. Yeah. So that when they're talking to the medical community, the national thought leaders, that they can bring a patient perspective and a family perspective to yeah. that conversation with the, with the national experts. And, and even to development, not just to use. Most definitely in development. You know, part of the whole development process is trying to figure out where the product works, where it doesn't work, who it works in. Yeah. You know, what, what has to be, what do we have to know in order to make, make um, good decisions about appropriate use? And that's a discovery process that goes along the way through the clinical trial phase one, phase two, phase three process. And medical affairs has an instrumental role to play uh, in that conversation that takes place between the clinical trials, the company's R&D teams, to be able to be sure that the product is being developed in a way that optimizes its, its, its not only its efficacy, but its safety and appropriate use in, in, in the right patients. So John, how do we identify these local thought leaders who don't necessarily have a, a footprint like these national thought leaders? They're not publishing as much. They're not the PIs necessarily in charge of big trials. How do we find these people? Well, that's a great question. It's something we've been working on for almost 20 years now. And you know what we've, what we've found is that they are hard to identify and the traditional techniques that are used to identify KOLs or thought leaders often come up short when trying to identify these local communities of practice. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what we've learned over the years is that it takes um, a, a number of different data sources to be, to get to this question of who is it at a local level who's providing advice and who is a trusted discussion partner with practicing physicians. Because the other side of it is companies are using claims data. So they're using referrals, who refers to whom. And some are using who's sharing patients with whom. Sure. Some are even looking at early prescribing. But none of those techniques actually identifies these individuals because they're often in settings where their claims data, their prescribing data, their diagnosis data, their patient data uh, is, is invisible. They, they sit in a hospital or they sit in a institutional setting where those claims are not captured at the individual HCP level. So what we've learned is that you have to combine techniques. So the first thing we start with is doing primary research. Oh. And we ask a very specific set of peer learning relationship questions. And, and these have been validated working with several social scientists and the one thing that we've learned is that we have to say who talks to whom. So amongst your trusted colleagues, who do you routinely talk to about the treatment of a given disease? 
And then when you have a difficult to manage patient, who do you turn to for expert advice? These are peer nomination techniques. The limitation of peer nomination is the the sample size is small. So if I survey 5,000 doctors, I get 500 back. That means the 4,500 doctors I didn't hear from. But what we've been doing using advanced analytic techniques is combining the the shared patient data, the referral data, Mm -hmm. affiliation data, location data, specialty data, age, you know, demographics. We've developed a machine learning model that actually allows us to use the peer nomination data from the primary research and project it to the entire audience. So now we can map out the entire community of fault leader communities of practice in what we're calling learning communities or learning networks, who learns from whom, so that when new treatments are introduced, companies and medical affairs teams, as well as commercial teams, begin to leverage this kind of information to know how to optimize uh, not only the engagement of thought leaders, but how do I activate their communities of practice. Oh, so you're actually doing your own surveying to get the data for, say, these 500, and then you're using all of these existing sources that have been leveraged elsewhere to build out those 500 to the 5,000. Yes, and that's where we use the IQVIA big data factory. You know, there's, IQVIA has, you know, one of the largest um, healthcare data sets uh, available in the entire world. And we're able to not only leverage all those data assets, but we're also able to use some advanced analytics techniques uh, and even using things like natural language uh, processing to begin to look at, you know, how, how physicians, uh, how the medical community is talking about given diseases. So yeah. the combination of big, big data, traditional primary research techniques that have been validated over the last 20 years mm-hmm. and advanced analytics solutions that allow, allow us to map out these, these communities to really help companies figure out who do I need to engage and how do I effectively and efficiently distribute information that's going to help doctors make the best treatment decisions they can possibly make. And that's interesting, though, that in this landscape of big data, the what is it? A keystone is the thing that holds up an arch, right? The the primary yeah. research of of your spraying within communities using validated social science techniques remains a keystone. It is a keystone, and we tr- we've tried to do it without it. And what we find is, you know, these are relations; these are learning relationships that exist between peers. Yeah. You know, we, we did some work with uh, Wharton School and USC's Keck School of Medicine, and we, we learned that these, these are unique individuals. These are individuals who aren't traditionally identified in these other data sources. So without having that information, we really don't know who they are. We can guess who they are, but we don't really know. By doing the primary research, we can, we can see who is it that's being nominated, what are their affiliations, what are their practice characteristics, where are they located, how old are they, Um, what's the patient mix, what's their prescribing behavior, are they early adopters, you know, are they followers, Uh, are they sharing patients with others, and using all this data we're able to look at the patterns between those that were nominated in primary research and those uh, same physicians in the who have the same characteristics and the same behaviors in the secondary data. Well, and it's so impersonal, but then so personal 
finding these people who eventually reach patients? Yes. You know, ultimately, our responsibility is to make sure that those doctors and healthcare providers that are seeing patients with any given disease know how to use a product, know who to use it in, know what to look out for if something goes wrong, and makes the best possible decision they can make about making about any given treatment for that patient. And companies have a responsibility to make sure that information is provided to the healthcare practitioners who are seeing these patients. And oftentimes they fail to recognize there are informal advisors. It's something in the literature is called curbside consultation where physicians talk to one another. They seek advice from one another. They learn from one another. And this is a very powerful, powerful uh, relationship that, that can really help make sure that doctors are making the best decisions they can about any given new product. Okay, so now we have all this, we have all this information in. You know, we have we have medical affairs listening to external stakeholders uh, and hopefully formalizing some of that into what we would call insights. We also have the information in that's coming from, from clinical trials at the same time. So now let's go back to scientific communications platforms. And is this where we start talking about information out? Oh. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's, there's, it's a two-way communication process. It's okay. not only company to the healthcare community, yeah. but the healthcare community's voice into the company. And that voice is coming through multiple channels. It's certainly coming through the R&D team and the clinical research teams, yeah. but also it's coming through from the medical affairs teams who really is looking at things from a I'll call it a practical sense. You know, what is the real world application of this new treatment? Yep. And what is it that the company needs to know? And what is it that the healthcare community needs to know to make maximal use or the most effective and safe use of a given therapeutic option for, for any given disease? So the medical affairs teams becomes sort of a, a translator, so to speak. You know, they, they kind of translate the the, the clinical trial language into more practical application language and make sure that those two things are aligned. Ultimately, you wanna be sure that the label and the approved indications for a given product are aligned with the, the, the market opportunity and the market need. Uh, where is the unmet need and, and where is it that a product's gonna add the most value? Well, and this sounds like uh, a strategic role. This, this is not just an executional role on the on the medical affairs part, which it traditionally was. Right? Yes. So, can you tell us about the opportunities uh, of medical affairs in this strategic role, in in the context of being this translator and creating this alignment? Yeah. So it's. I think it starts with understanding that. Um, medical affairs traditionally has interacted with what I'll call national key opinion leaders. Yeah. These are individuals who are in academic settings. They write lots of papers. They do lots of research. They hold, you know, good, you know, leadership positions in professional societies. They sit on guideline committees, um, you know, and they're maybe even journal editorial board members. 
Uh, and that certainly is a critically important segment of the thought leader community. But it isn't the only segment of the thought leader community that's important to engage. Mm -hmm. And I think where we, we see medical fairs going is certainly starting and building on that foundation with the national experts, making sure that rationale uh, for, for use of a given product is, is aligned with how physicians and how experts think about it. But also medical affairs is, is becoming more strategic and, and now starting to say, how does the practicing physician who's seeing patients make treatment decisions? And how do I make sure that the knowledge and expertise that we developed with the national key opinion leaders is translated Mm -hmm. into language and, uh, and, and that's understandable at the local level because it's, it's important to understand there are local thought leaders as well as national thought leaders. So what we see is happening is medical affairs is transitioning and becoming uh, a more instrumental player, a strategic player in making sure that that bridge is, is built between the national experts in the language and the lexicon they use and the local experts who, who are seeing and treating patients. And what we have been finding uh, as critically important is there are local communities of physicians where thought leaders are providing expert clinical advice. They're routinely talking to their peers about, about uh, new treatments. And they're in essence playing a translator's role in translating this, the high science and the clinical trials into language and, and, and practical understanding of what, what does it mean to you in the local practice and what you're doing today? Well, that, that's so interesting that the bigger data gets, uh, the littler we can get in a way where we're able to find and engage yeah. These, these local leaders who are actually making a, a major difference in patient outcomes and how new treatments are used. Yes. Okay. Well, John, let's leave it at that. So uh, thanks for joining us today. To learn more about how your organization can partner with IQVIA to explore the strategic opportunities of scientific communications platforms, visit IQVIA.com. That's I-Q-V-I-A.com. MAPS members, you can continue the conversation at the MAPS Connect app. And don't forget to subscribe. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.